0: The US dollar has been creeping up to multi-decade highs while supply chains are pushing up the price of everything, not least of which is the cost of energy. That means outside the wealthiest nations, countries are stuck with rising fuel costs paid for in US dollars, which are also going up, and any debts they hold in US dollars are also becoming more expensive to service. The only country that seems to be doing well out of all of this, or sort of okay, is the United States. A mightier dollar means they can buy more from overseas for less, downgrade. The impact of inflation. So they're all right, Jack, but what about everybody else? That's this week on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. Well, Steve, one listener, Paula, has asked, any chance you could talk about foreign debts and how this works, which I think we've sort of done a few times before, but always an opportunity to expand it further. But more importantly, I think uh, she's also saying, what are the impacts are likely to occur as the global south, the BRICS, uh, which is what's that? That's uh, Russia, India, China, uh, South Africa. What's the B? Brazil, 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 uh, move yeah. to payments in their own currencies instead of U.S. dollars or bartering. Which uh, these are both pertinent questions right now. But let's let's start with the U.S. and the dollar because obviously this is this is the nub, nub of the issue. They, so the U.S. has got a balance of trade deficit, which doesn't seem to matter for the U.S. I mean, the last time they had a trade surplus was back in 1975. Government debt is also seen, you know, many countries as a a bad thing if you feel like you've got to pay it back. And we, you know, we've often debated about that. But in the U.S., the federal government owes, if it is the word to use, quite a bit over thirty trillion dollars in debt issued in Treasury bills, obviously, which are owned by banks, pension funds, and a lot of foreign investors and foreign governments. And at the same time. We have developing or emerging nations. I go in trouble for using that word uh, in the last podcast. I don't know, <laughs> what else are we going to call them? Countries that are not developed nations uh, who are uh, buying in what they need, um, and uh, you know the, the problem is, of course, that they are uh, that, with a strong dollar that is making commodities that they want all that much more expensive. So that mm-hmm. you know they are they're struggling through all of this. So I mean, first off. We have to revisit old ground on this, don't we? Because it is the, the problem is the strength of the U.S. dollar, which is obviously why those BRICS nations are, are feeling as though, you know, there needs to be a new world order, perhaps. But let's revisit old ground because this is where Keynes had that idea, wasn't it, for a, for a new global currency. And, uh, you know, perhaps we wouldn't be facing these problems if we had gone down that track.
1: Oh yeah, I mean a well, major factor that trains is trying to do is limit trade deficits and surpluses to no more than two percent of GDP. Mm. And if you were running more than two percent, then you'd start running out of bancors, which was the internationally issued currency Keynes wanted to use for for trade. Um, so the basic idea if, if a like if a French company wanted to buy American goods and they would need to convert franc, because we wouldn't we wouldn't have had the euro if it gone this way. I think mm. franc into Bankor, and then Bancor into American dollar, and that would pass through the accounts that both America and France had at the International Monetary Fund, which, under Keynes's scheme, would have been an international bank issuing bankors to countries in proportion to the size of their GDP, and um, that uh, that that would have meant if you if you exceeded the two percent for too long, you'd start running you'd start running out of uh, of um, uh, of of bancor, and then you'd have to devalue your currency uh, to be able to get more in. You'd be enforced by the so it would be a, it would be a fixed a sort of fixed exchange system with the means by which it could be floated, but it would need to be agreed with an international body. But on the other hand, if you're running a surplus, then ultimately you would charge interest on the surplus, and the interest would be used uh, to uh, fund development projects in, in developing countries. And, and that was uh, Keynes's idea to limit it to more, no more than 2% of GDP. Right. Now so what the, we're seeing it throughout the system is it deficits and surpluses of the order of 10% of GDP.
0: And it's got worse, of course, because of the price of commodities. So if we saw... How would the Bancor work in a situation where we are now? So if we saw the, uh, the, the, the price of oil uh, skyrocketing, for example, well, I guess we wouldn't be trading it in the US dollar for a star, would we? So that, that We'd would be trading it in Bancor, that's right, yeah. So how would that change things? Because, I mean, the, the inherent price would still be going up. So those countries that are uh, 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 not quite as developed and it's a smaller proportion, it, it, it's a higher proportion of their, you know, their, their total income is being spent on commodities, oh. uh, they would still struggle, yeah. though, wouldn't they? wouldn't they wouldn't fix that problem.
1: Well, what it would mean is though that the the surplus, if you had a large surplus being run up by the uh, by Saudi Arabia, uh, then its currency would be appreciated against the bankor. Uh, so the bankor would buy more Saudi products than than beforehand, which would mean those countries with Bancor would have a compensating mechanism for the increase in the cost of oil, denominated in bank. Uh, well, that'd be dominated in Bancor, but that, that the Bancor would buy more Saudi, which would effectively, um, and make it easier to purchase the oil, even though the price had gone up in, in the international currency. Uh, but also, if that started accumulating a surplus, I mean, a consistent, persistent surplus for Saudi Arabia, uh, then they would be taxed on that through the scheme that Keynes had as part of the Bancor, and interest being charged on that would be passed to the developing countries. So part of the part of the, the higher oil costs would come back to them as revenue from the International Monetary Fund. Not the one we've got these days, but the one Keynes wanted to uh, bring about. So that would be a compensating mechanism for the scale of the uh, increase in the price of oil as well.
0: Right. So the Saudis would find that they're getting taxed more because their surplus is too large. That money would be going to the developing nations that would say, "Well, we really are struggling to pay for this fuel." But then they would have a slug of money that they could be used could be used. I mean, I guess the 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 it would, the ideal would be that it was used for for investment, but maybe in the short term they say, well, okay, we need that to buy the energy for us to be able to survive. Uh, and then the Saudis will quickly realize. Well, hang on a second. We are charging a lot for oil, which is being compensated. We may as well drop the price of oil. Well,
1: I'm not going to go that far. But it, it, mean, it, it, it was an idea to dampen the instability of the global system. Whereas the the, the, the uh, Americans, this is just one of the, the great stupid decisions of an imperial power. Under Harvey, it was, it was Harvey Dexter White uh, insisted that rather than the bank would be the American dollar, and this is sort of saying, you know, before the war it was the British power, which was the international currency. Uh, we were the strongest nation by far after the Second World War, which was correct, of course. They didn't win it, but they certainly were the, the strongest nation on the other side of the Second World War. Used the American dollar, and now what that meant was, and that Varoufakis covered this very well. That meant you have a demand for American dollars over and above the demand you would have if you were buying goods and services from America. So, as well as wanting to buy specifically buy goods and services from America, you needed American dollars for all the international transactions. So that's caused a Push the value of the American dollar up, which of course makes American manufactured goods more expensive, and then sets in train that it has to run a trade deficit.
0: Yeah. So, so actually, it might be better for America in a way if that had happened, because that was going to be my question. You what would it really mean to to the U.S. if that hadn't happened? Uh, because they have a stronger this,
1: manufacturing the, sector. Yeah. Yeah. and that's that's one. Like, there's one reason I, you know, I, we I got a couple of the criticisms yet again over my attitude to modern monetary theory and international trade. But you know, I'm sorry if I'm fa- facing a challenge between uh, the opinion of uh, of modern MMT people and the opinion of Keynes. My bias is going to be also kept in Keynes' analysis rather than rather than more recent. Uh, uh, supporters. So and on that front, Keynes wanted to limit trade deficits. He did not want them getting too big. He didn't want a big trade surplus either. And that's seeing the scale of them whether you're in surplus or deficit, being a destabilising factor in the global economy, as I think it's proven to be.
0: Well, yeah, just as an aside on that, maybe we could all just accept the fact that the MMT book is not completely closed, as, as no book is. You know, there's open debate. There will be inaccuracies and things that need developing further. And if you are mm. a belief that MMT is some sort of uh, cult that can't be questioned, you really are not going to win a mainstream argument on, on that basis. You're just going to piss a lot of people off. I only mentioned that because someone had a go at me. And I'm, you know, I'm a big supporter of the cause like you are. Uh, mm. And it's, it's funny. It's like we like the Tory party in the UK fighting amongst ourselves. Doesn't make a great deal of sense, does it? But look, mm. going back to where we are right now, um, I mean, the U.S. trade deficit obviously is, is great news for the places they're selling to them, like Mexico and Germany and China and Japan and Ireland, strangely, Vietnam, Italy. All have trade surpluses with the U.S., so you know they'd be quite happy with the way things are.
1: Yeah, and like the the MMT attitude is actually quite inverted on that front because they're saying, "Oh, these countries that are exporting to America are giving away real goods and getting pieces of paper in return." Silly them! But we're willing to we're willing to take advantage of that and and swap pieces of paper for goods and services. And I'm, so, you know, I, I I really don't want to get engaged in that argument. I I, I just find it. Uh, rather trivial because um, and this is a bit of a diversion as well, but if it's true that exports are a cost and imports are a benefit, then countries should be attempting to run trade deficits and because the sum of all trade deficits is zero, because you know we're not trading with Mars yet, um, so one country's trade deficit is collectively the rest of the world's trade surplus, if that's true, you should be trying to limit trade deficits. And I've never heard anybody in MMT talk about that. Just saying it's good to run a trade deficit. Well, yeah, okay, if that's true. What's the total sum? The answer is zero. Well, therefore, if you have one country running a trade deficit and that's good for that country and bad for those running a trade surplus, you've got a beggar my neighbour policy. And that doesn't sound like good international policy to me. So, uh, you know, I, I really get aggravated about it. China's got it
0: totally wrong on that basis, hasn't it? You know, who'd have thought yeah. this idea we are going to ship stuff overseas. We're going to get that money. We're going to use that money to pay people within our country and to invest in And the poor and miserated
1: Chinese as a result of it, all these, you know… What they've got is an investment surplus, and they've used that brilliantly to invest and develop their own economy. Um, so you know, anyway, so I think I think there's a lot, a lot of uh, badly thought-out elements in that argument. Even if it's correct, that it's you know, exports are a cost and imports are a benefit, then that's a reason to have an international rule to restrain trade deficits.
0: Yeah, exactly. I- either way, Keynes was right. Yeah. So the yeah. U.S. has the worst trade balance in the world, but, it's you know, it's got a population, a big population. It's got lots of oil. It's got lots of other energy sources as well. And, you know, as we've been discussing, it's the world's reserve currency. I look at the U.K., the second worst trade uh, uh, deficit it's got very, very little to offer. So I guess the question in short is how in, in the system as it is now, how buggered is the UK economy?
1: I think quite buggered, because if you look at uh, where the trade deficit in the UK came from, first of all, it's not the global reserve currency. So it's got a, uh, you know, you, you can't, it can't buy goods internationally in British pounds. It has to convert to American dollars to buy anything overseas. Um But what it decided was it was going to specialise in services and that was Maggie Thatcher's orientation, forget about manufacturing, forget about uh, uh, mining because, of course, you used to be a large coal miner and shutting that down may have actually been a a damn good thing in climate change terms. Um, But uh, the idea was this focus on services and the, the services fundamentally come down to lending, creating money, lending it to other people. Uh, you know, there's, there's insurance services there, you know, all, the, all those elements as well shipping and so on, international shipping finance, uh, but fundamentally uh, the idea that service exports could have replaced manufactured exports failed so what you have is the service exports exist but they're nowhere near the scale of the trades uh, ex- the, the, the uh, manufactured goods the UK used to produce and export and so it's got you know, a chronic trade deficit as a result of that and uh, you know, very little to show for it, frankly.
0: Well, the, the, I mean, the, what you're talking about there, though, of course, is financial services. Mm. Uh, but you know, there are lots of other services. You know, like uh, I've just but come they, from one. They, just come trivial. from one of them. Uh, they, I guess they are yeah. trivial, but they're uh, you know, just had a nice yeah. cup of, cup, couple of cup, cups of coffee with a with a mate of mine. There's a service industry. But it's not an export industry, obviously. And as you say, it's not. It's not. You can't run a whole economy based on that. Uh, but you also can't export. It's very difficult to export services, isn't it? Particularly when you're you, uh, the cost of labour is so much higher than uh, than in other countries, which is why obviously so many of the other services uh, are are outsourced to uh, developing countries.
1: The, the vast majority of services were creating debt. So when you had the bubble going on uh, and, and private sector lending uh, rising, then the whole services, you know, you know creating the bonds, issuing them, selling them, et cetera, et etc, uh, creating corporate debt, you know slicing it up, all this sort of thing. there was a boom there, but of course, as soon as the financial crisis hit bang, that's the end of the growth in private debt, uh, not totally obviously, but it, it didn't it didn't continue rising indefinitely. and so because creating money, creating debt and and marketing and packaging it, Uh, was 80% of services, the 20% left just wasn't enough to make up for the loss of the manufacturing exports.
0: So you'd have thought the best position to be in, uh, you know, the argument of MMT as a side, is that you want a strong trade balance and for that trade balance to be a high proportion of your GDP. And then you do see a lot of this is services because the countries that have got the... uh, that the strongest balance is a proportion of GDP. It's Luxembourg, Singapore, Bermuda, Ireland, uh, all have got you know more than a quarter of their GDP coming from their trade surplus. But this is largely trading in money and uh, and and you know and tax evasion, isn't it? Basically,
1: there's small countries that can get away with that. So Ireland, in particular, has made a, you know, a specialty of, of doing that. And you you simply can't include Ireland in most of your international data because it's such ludicrous uh, le- levels of manipulation of the of the domestic financial sector for the benefit of uh, international corporations that use Ireland as their home base because of Ireland's tax laws. So, uh, yeah, Ireland is absolutely crazy. But Ireland and but Luxembourg, same sort of story. You know, don't, don't include them in their data uh, because they're, they're A, A, they're tiny and B, they're exploiting loopholes and that's the main reason they have the divergence that they have from the rest of the, the global system.
0: Yeah, well, same with Bermuda as well, of course. Yeah, isn't it? you yeah. know, it's just home to people with their very big bank accounts. And I guess to an extent, I mean, not to the same extent, but a bit, I guess, uh, for Singapore as well.
1: Oh, it's pretty strong manufacturing as well. I mean, it, it, it's always been an entrepot. You know, there's you know, exports and imports together, about 90% of GDP in Singapore for most of its history. I don't know what they are now, but uh, it, 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 because of its location, the trading hub, and its, its political stability as well, and of course Hong Kong could have been a rival, but it's not anymore now that it's been incorporated back into China. So they give Singapore uh, a, a very special position. It's both the services sector and its own manufacturing and high-tech industry area. Yeah
0: yeah now uh the energy shock and the food shock obviously is is hurting those smaller nations the with with lower gdp so you know and and that is as we've said you know being made worse by the by the strength of the u.s dollar and there's no sign that the u.s dollar is going to ease off i mean it just seems to be getting higher and higher it's you know decades at a decade's high right now so that situation is just going to get worse i mean what you know, short of uh, fast-tracking Keynes' solution, what could be done for those for those nations where a larger proportion of uh, you know of their income is now being spent on the basics, on on those essentials, on those the the cost of energy, and uh, you know, and and very often falling short on on meeting that requirement.
1: Now, what you've got, they've got to then they've got to issue bonds uh, if, going, if the government's going to be buying any of these goods, or even if, if local corporations are, they've got to. They've got to buy them in American dollars, so they've got to issue debt denominated in American dollars, which is disastrous as a long-term policy. Uh, Or you've got to have companies, uh, you know, buying their uh, buying the American dollar on the international exchange with their own currency, uh, which is going to again cause them to devalue against the American and make those price increases worse.
0: So what you're saying is there's not an answer because the only other answer is go to the World Bank and get a loan, and the World Bank's going to well, say. But
1: the, 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 one other the part of Paula's question, which is important to focus on, and that's like in the Australian case, for example, which is I think she's Australian based. Um, there's a, a foreign debt in Australia is about a, about a trillion. Apparently, I haven't seen the data myself. But I've been told this by a couple of correspondents about a trillion US dollars. Now it's not the government that's been doing the borrowing. Uh, in fact, the, the government has always issued bonds in the Australian dollar. Australian dollars so you don't you don't have Australia Australian government having debt in American dollars. What you do have and I've heard this from people in the banking sector who know what's happening but don't understand why is that a large part of the, the equity backing of Australian banks has come from uh, from, from sales of bonds by the um, by the banks in American dollars. so you sell the bond and you get American dollars back which then becomes an asset, of the uh, of the the banking sector, and that is an asset which is created against against um, uh, equity. So what it does is it's when you it, when you issue long term when you issue long term debt, then the value of the long term debt uh, is treated as part of your equity. Okay, so short term debt, uh, which uh, uh, that is not part of equity, that's part of your assets and liabilities, but the long-term debt is part of your assets and equity. And then that expands the capacity of the banks to lend, which means they then lend more for to pump up the level of Australian housing. So you have the banks uh, having large debt denominated in American dollars, having to service that in American dollars, but they then would also be on-selling when, when, because Australia is normally running a trade deficit. Then there are co- companies that need to have Australian American dollars uh, and are earning Australian dollars um, in their their sales activities then have to use those American dollars while they buy them off the bank. So I think there's... So they're doing
0: uh, that then. Presumably it, they are... It's a, it's a combination of they are... It's a, it's a bit yeah, of hedging, a, isn't it, it, for, it the, for the bank? You know, let's... It, it, let's except, uh,
1: except, except they've borrowed the money. Like, it, it's not buying it uh, be, or buying futures dominated in the currency as well, but it's, it's borrowing, borrowing the currency. You've got to pay... Service it, and you've got to service that in American dollars. So... Uh, that, that The danger that you have is… So
0: the only reason would be liquidity then. So we've got some US dollars because we need US dollars uh, are in demand, so the bank needs to make sure they've got got some of those. I'm mean, trying to figure out why they're doing this. Well,
1: pa- partly because uh, if you if you're a company and you want to raise additional equity for your, whatever purpose, you have two major ways to do it. You sell shares or you borrow long-term debt. And in the accounting rules, the way long-term debt is treated is part of the overall equity of the company. Even though there's a debt backing it, it turns up as your equity as, rather than on your liability side in, in the accounting rules. And that means that with the expanded equity base, you're more able to do whatever activity you might be. Now, of course, what banks do is lend money. And what they do in lending the money for is for speculating on rising house prices, which they then cause. So I think if you hadn't had the level of borrowing by Australian banks to borrowing American dollars to get long-term equity to enable them to lend more, you wouldn't necessarily have the scale of the housing bubble in the country either. So this is not at all productive borrowing. Uh, and the, the danger is with you, with rising interest rates and the falling value of housing coming through, if you then find that a, a large proportion of the borrowers that the banks have lent to start going bankrupt and you know, can't sell their houses for the profit they thought they'd make, can't service the debt, et etc., et cetera, there's a rise in unemployment at some point. <coughs> Then quite possibly the assets, those assets get written off, and the banks start heading towards negative zero equity themselves, which is disaster for a bank. A so it, yeah. It's a dangerous game. Yeah, it's a dangerous game, and it, you know it, it may well backfire on the banks at some point. they they're more likely, they're not likely to get rescued by the government, as seems to happen all the time with the banking sector, uh, and that sort of inc- continues encouraging the bad behaviour that they've been, you know, justifiably famous for for the last thirty years. Uh, but there could be some some chaos on the route to whatever government bailout they get. So, what
0: about getting back to developing nations? And I do, I do want to talk about this BRICS phenomenon. You know, what would happen if they, if they decided that they're going to, for example, adopt the the Keynes idea themselves and develop a, a a BRICS currency? We'll come to that in just a second. Just the importance of energy right now. Um, obviously, the fact that it's going up so much is going to hurt some countries more than others. So for example, you know, you know Thailand fairly well. I just did a bit of research as to how much it costs for a liter of petrol in Thailand. It's about a dollar 32, slightly more in the US. Uh but you know, the same order of magnitude. But of course, GDP per capita in Thailand is about 7,000 US dollars. Uh which in the US it's like 10 times that. But fuel costs the same. So Surely those countries where fuel is such a larger proportion of the total GDP for the country, energy for anything they want to do, energy is going to be a, a, a more of a, a, an input cost for them. It's going to be very hard for their economy to grow, given the, the, the relative cost of, of energy. Not the total cost, but the relative cost, which I think is important here, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is. I mean, and, and countries that don't have uh, their own oil. Um, mm. Having to and, import. Have to import. Yeah, yeah. Then that, that 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 is going to be very damaging for them. Um, so uh, you know, the cost of energy that's a, that's a major factor behind the rising inflation, and it's not going to go away because uh, we you know the the, the is, This is where I love the work by Simon Maitchow. The quality of oil that we're able to the, mine these days is far lower than it used to be. The cost of mining it is far higher. Uh, ultimately, the cost of production of oil is being driven up, and there's nothing that Raising interest rates will do about that. It simply takes more energy to get the oil out of the ground. Uh, it, it takes more energy to process the minerals because the minerals are falling in quality at the same time. Uh, because we, we've mined the, you know, uh, we the eas- easily available stuff, and we're down to tiny, tiny uh, uh, amounts of uh, ore per gra- per kilo of an input. And it makes more energy to get the useful stuff out of that. So uh, we're in a real energy bind now. I think that means permanent inflation. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, there's a turnaround, isn't it? Unless we change our ways. And that was, a, you know, unless we use less energy. And that was a point that Polar makes. Uh, You know, saying it costs more for a litre of. So I think it's probably in Australia Australia or America, not sure, but she says it costs more for a litre of milk than it does for a litre of petrol and says uh, this is changing, perhaps more likely uh, uh, because of a a slowdown of waste, of making people think more about what is essential. So uh, I might have phrased that badly. Can't read my own handwriting here. But anyway, uh, I think the point is that, you know, if if stuff is getting more expensive, are we going to change our behaviour? And are we going to do things better? So there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal I was reading yesterday. uh, And uh, there's a woman there who was in her 70s and was struggling because of the cost of living crisis. And she said uh, she's actually had to downgrade her car to something which is more fuel efficient. She's forced to. So she's having to use less fuel. Uh, And uh, her coffee machine, she's now had to uh, use the, the capsules. She's having to refill them rather than throw them away. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I was reading that. You know, this is fantastic, isn't it? This is a double win for the for the environment on both of those things. So are we actually going to, through this inflation, are we actually going to adopt a you know, could it be a good thing that we change our behaviour and uh, and we consume less?
1: Well, the trouble is that we, we only if we could actually then rapidly gear up into other forms of energy use or drastically reduce our energy consumption. And uh, it, 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 because... Eighty-five percent of our energy is coming from fossil fuels. Uh, it simply isn't possible to change over to electric on that scale unless you go from private transport to public transport. That's the only that's the only real, real way of drastically reducing the amount of energy we use on on that scale. And so it's, it's and
0: that, that is not going to happen in those countries which are relatively rich. So America's energy use before the, looking before the pandemic was six point eight million kilos of oil equivalent. These are figures from the World Bank. Uh, com- uh, per- uh, compared to, for example, Cuba, uh, which uh, was almost what—that—that's per person, by the way—is that mm. right? So that's anyway. I think per person, whatever the number is, mm. America is sh- consuming seven times more than Cuba, for example. Uh, so, and I, I, you know, as we've explained, it's a relatively inconsequential expense in America compared to how much it is in other parts of the world. They'll feel it as prices go up but they won't feel it as much so they're not going to moderate their behaviour as much as the rest of the world is going to, for example.
1: Yeah, it's a burden if you leave it to the prices and the burden falls on the poor both inside a country and outside it uh, you have to say look, with this this is not a burden that either the poor in a country or the poor globally can afford anymore. And if you if you require that, you're going to get a social breakdown because people are going to say, why should I go to work if it costs me more to get there than I get paid, for example. Um, so you, you're going to find that suddenly you, you've, your, your, uh, your production system starts to break down because of these rises in costs which are being borne by the poor rather than by the rich. Uh,
0: yeah, here we go. Here's a number. 5% of the world's population is in the United States. It consumes a quarter of all the world's oil
1: hmm.
0: it's pretty pretty telling isn't it so what about then this idea that and, and i'm not quite sure how much of that gets fixed fully um if if we had a, adopted Keynes's approach for the bank or how much it, that would have fixed this problem specifically
1: well i mean you, you can't solve the fact that you're running out of oil with the money with the financial innovation and that's the problem uh, this is uh, this is again, we're paying the price for Richard Nord, uh, 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 William Nordhaus uh, denigrating the limits to growth because their broad predictions were correct about the future running out of easily uh, not not totally exhausting all the minerals, but running out of easily available minerals, and therefore the, the the quality goes down, uh, running out of energy to process it. So. Uh, you had a double whammy: the energy gets more expensive, and it, you need more of it to process the declining quality of ore. So that really hits you with a double whammy in terms of increasing cost of prices. And the
0: people that so the developing nations can't afford oil because uh, proportionally, or, or any energy source really, because proportionally it's a it's a bigger proportion of their GDP. They're having to import it. The the, the U.S. dollar. Uh, is is getting stronger, so it's getting more expensive. We've got in, inflation, which is making it worse for them. Whereas countries like the US are being impacted less because it's a, such a smaller proportion of their GDP goes on, on on energy consumption. So the higher, the the bigger the problem becomes with less available resources, the places that are going to feel it are going to be the third world rather than the first world. And how long can that situation carry on without us uh, seeing mass migration out of the third world for people who are looking to, to survive? I mean, it's a question becomes a question of survival, doesn't it? And we're doing nothing about that. So aren't, aren't we staring in the face of, of what is a, a really serious and obvious problem?
1: Yeah, we are, and it it isn't just restricted to the wealthy nation, because given the inequality in income distribution, maybe 10%, you, could be, you could certainly regard the bottom 10% of American economy as an equivalent income level to third world averages. And right. if, they're, if they're... But they, do
0: something, they can do something about that if they wanted to. I mean, that's a simple a simple. If there's public transport. To, a, if there's public yeah, transport. Yeah,
1: and you know, yeah. does that exist in America? And anything like, cities like New York... Uh, to some extent Los Angeles forget or they, could, or
0: they could have some or they could, you know, I mean it won't happen in America of course because they, they'd see this communist. but you could have, you know, some sort of redistributive tax system, couldn't you? So that and yeah, people that's could what you afford... Get,
1: that's, uh, that's what I think you're going to need. You're going to need government spending to enable the poor not to fall before, below survival levels right.
0: but that's, in terms of the cost of energy and food. So the US can do that but all those other developing nations I mean, you know, we're leaving them on their own. I don't know what the solution is. I, I, and they, And people will just leave them. They will depopulate and we've you know we even saw Greece depopulating even though it was within the EU so these countries are almost certainly going to depopulate we 're going to have economic refugees and who can blame them uh, looking to survive in other parts of the world I mean the the, the tide of refugees to uh, to Europe is only just starting I think
1: yeah and equally I mean Sri Lanka is an example of that just because as well as its its stupidity on some of its agricultural policy it 's also people are finding it just impossible to buy oil. Uh, and for the, the the prices they face with a plunging currency, so yeah, it's uh, w- th- this could be, you know, th- this is a real challenge to the to the viability of societies over time. And uh, if you let all the burden fall on the poor, which the price system will do, then you might well have the sort of social breakdown we've seen in Sri Lanka recently.
0: So foreign aid is that is that the only way? If we say, well, okay. As a planet, we are going to try and find alternative sources of energy, uh, and we are also going to try and uh, remove this disadvantage for, for for developing nations that are struggling with energy costs. I mean, maybe we'll invest in the infrastructure for them to provide become alternative energy providers, for example, to the rest of the world. So their balance of trade improves.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are no there are no the, the, the stuff we look at about inflation is all about effectively reducing. Uh, markups by corporations, or reducing wage co- costs, or raw, raw material costs from the suppliers, uh, but you can do nothing. You can do nothing about the actual cost of production rising, and and that's what's actually happening. Uh, that's the, the major factor which is going to make uh, this inflation permanent. And then the only only way to balance it is well, the inflation is going to hit the poor badly. Uh, we have to provide those essential services through government money rather than expecting it to be paid for by the poor. And if you don't do it, then you get, you know, what we saw in Sri Lanka starts becoming a common phenomenon throughout the oil-importing third world.
0: Yeah, which is not a pretty picture. And also, I mean, I wonder how much, uh, you know, the moves by Russia are sitting behind this. You know, the uh, Russia, who are the world's greatest hold, holder of, uh, of, of gas reserves right now, but, uh, you know... Uh, teeming seemingly with you know the other BRICS countries uh so uh so yet yeah, even South Africa uh, has abstained from a UN vote denouncing the Ukraine invasion uh in fact uh, as, as Cyril Ram- Ramaphosa has blame NATO for the for the war so you've got you know all those countries uh teaming together i mean what if they said well okay we're we're actually a bit sick of uh, of America's dominance we're we're a bit sick of the fact that the US Holds this reserve currency. It wouldn't be the first time that's been a bone of contention, would it? Uh, and uh, and yeah, we quite like Keynes's idea of a of a global currency. Why don't we all team together, uh, and you know, as our own block, develop something similar as a as a challenge yeah, to I mean, to the it's a, U.S. It's, it's
1: a use- It's a useful challenge to the American hegemony. The Americans aren't going to give it away, even though I think it's damaging to their economy overall. Uh, They're not going to give away the US dollar hegemony. But if you start having countries enabling an an alternative system uh, for purchasing essential commodities like oil, but also potentially searching Chinese goods, if China's part of the whole system as well, then you can bypass the American dollar system. And that means ultimately the overvaluation of the American dollar might fall, which would be a good thing for America, but would be damaging for their financial sector.
0: But it wouldn't be good for the average American in the short term, would it? I mean, ultimately it would yeah, be good.
1: But- yeah, they'll pay more for imported goods.
0: Yeah, but it is too high otherwise, isn't it? There is that question. I mean, everyone is always asking: Is the is the US dollar overvalued? It certainly is now because it, it keeps on rising. So. Uh so maybe this is the you know maybe this is the way forward. Maybe you do get a pact, a group of countries like the uh, like like the BRICS nations who do say, "Well, okay, we're going to go down this road," and then ultimately other people start joining in.
1: Yeah, and that could that, look, The Americans would never give away that power, but they might have it taken from them by international agreements by countries you know, like China, Russia, Saudi Arabia. Uh, that establish an alternative method.
0: Yeah, it's it would be nice to get some democracy. Well, South Africa is supposedly a democracy. It would be nice to get some democracies in that pact though, wouldn't it? Well Yeah, you know, like uh, Europe could join.
1: Oh like to, <laughs> looking what America, Australia and America, Australia and, and UK have thrown up in terms of democratic leaders in the last decade i think democracy might be overrated
0: <laughs> well we'll leave it there uh interesting though isn't it and i wonder how that is going to play out good to talk steve look we're going to talk a bit more about climate change next time specifically i want to look at you know how realistic are ideas like the electric car for example is that really part of the climate answer or is it uh is it really just a a, a side piece we'll look at that next week good to talk steve okay bye and it's rather timely talking about climate change when in the UK they had, for the first time, temperatures over 40 degrees centigrade, 19 homes destroyed in East London when a compost heap spontaneously combusted under the heat and then spread bushfires, or bushfires, grass fires, uh, over a relatively short distance that took out all those houses. Incredible scenes. Uh, it is where we are today. And how do we cope with it in the future? And how do we stop it getting worse? Well, our car's part of the answer. Electric car's part of the answer. That's next week on the Debunking Economics Post. Thanks for listening in today. I'm Phil Dobby with Steve Keane. Back next week. See you then. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues